Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey all, Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm here. The Art of Charm podcast is packed with wisdom in the truest sense of the word, from how to become more productive to how to expand your personal and professional networks and manage relationships if you're in one. Productivity, persuasion, influence, time management, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Find The Art of Charm podcast in the Podcast One app or go to podcastone.com. Corolla Drinks presents The Vagabonds Winter 2016 Southwest Tour San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, Austin, Phoenix, Las Vegas, San Diego Tickets and info at CorollaDrinks.com The Vagabonds and Loxie Plus special guests, local bands, and comedians in every city, including Ryan Dune, George Perez, and Brian Redband. Tickets are $15 or $10 in advance online with the code Corolla Drinks. The Vagabonds. Get your tickets now at CorollaDrinks.com. The Vagabonds with Loxie, sponsored by Corolla Drinks. Enjoy endless rant IPA and Mangria responsibly. This is Corolla Digital. Listening to Resume. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Chris Laxmana, and once again, this is the show where we dissect the different careers of very interesting people. And today is no different. I welcome Brian Offenther, or uh, AKA DJ BO. Hey, how's it going? Pleasant to be here, Mr. Laxmana. I'm having a wonderful time. I look forward to talking to you today. Oh, likewise. And um, so, Brian is a DJ. Yes, as sir. I said earlier, and he's uh, currently, as we're recording this, on the tail end of his uh, U.S. tour. Well, it's the World Tour. It's the Planet Noise Tour, um, sponsored by Fireball, and it's been China, Mongolia, the Caribbean, and uh, the States. It's nine cities in China, two in Mongolia, uh, Grenada. So, you want to hear the whole tour? Um, just name the highlights. Well, the highlights. Um, well, nine cities in China, starting from Hong Kong and working our way north. Then uh, the capital of Mongolia, plus the countryside. And then uh, Grenada in the Caribbean. And then 
South Florida and the West Coast. So you, yeah, okay. So excuse me, that is definitely a world tour. Well, if you <laughs> wanted to break it down, it'd be Hong Kong, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Changsha, Wuhan, Shanghai, Nanjing, Suzhou, Shanghai, Beijing, Ulaanbaatar, Darhan, Ulaanbaatar, Saint George, Grenada, South Florida, L.A., San Francisco, Vegas got canceled, but then I'm back to L.A. to talk to you. That's it. That's <laughs> it. That's all I got. <laughs> um, where are you from? I am from. A shitty little suburb called Coral Springs, Florida. I know Coral Springs. Uh, Why do you know Coral Springs? I know of Coral Springs because a band I used to listen to called Newfound Glory. Newfound Glory is from uh, Coral is Springs. from Coral Springs, Florida. They are. I mean, I used to listen to I still listen to them. Um, that yeah. is the cultural uh, force of Florida. And also, the third Smokey and the Bandit movie was filmed there. Oh, of course. I mean, as, that's, as, that's, as that's, that's common heard. knowledge. Of course. Um, so before we get into your resume and your career, because it's, it's pretty insane – um <laughs> what uh let's let's just uh, have you describe what you do now and um sure yeah I, I would i would uh call myself a dj and event producer so a lot of times i'll just be hired to dj at events it could be club parties it could be at rock shows because a lot of stuff i do is based on rock music it could be corporate events and then also producing events and that could be anything from you know just organizing you know a party or a festival like i'm a stage manager for beer festivals and other big events like that and it also includes touring with groups mostly through china but also including greater asia you're burying the lead here because uh, you've called into the adam carolla show and uh, you've talked about being the first dj in north korea yeah that was uh, uh a an interesting hook thing yeah i do that in, in uh a few years back, and it was a really interesting experience, and people like to hear about it, and I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, I, okay, um, because I'm so curious about that. Uh, the thing about the thing about North Korea is being in American culture. I mean, you're an American. Is we are kind of like when we are the same way uh, as countries like as, as, that we think of as North Korea. Like when we look at them, it's just propaganda. It's like you, we we watch them. We watch what they're feeding the, the the children as far as media goes, and how they're how they're mm. being raised and um, the same thing here. Like the way we are looking at North Korea and the way we're raised to look at North Korea is just some insane dictatorship and uh, just a really unfortunate circumstances. And um, yeah, so it's just it's so closed off. It's it's like the biggest secret. Sure, and, I mean it's certainly a big mystery for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And like I mean, as far as I, I I've I've seen the Vice documentary, mm-hmm. I've seen the interview, so I'm pretty much. An expert. <laughs> oh, you are <laughs> getting your information from James Franco is the way to yeah. go. But uh, yeah, tell tell me about how how it became how it came about that you became the first DJ in North Korea. How you even got to play or uh, okay. do, do it there? Here's the story. So there's a few tour companies that do do tours in North Korea. It is possible. It is kind of expensive. I mean, you're going to pay a few thousand dollars. And you're going to be on limited tours, but you can do it, okay? So there's a man named Simon who works for Koryo Tours, which is one of the main companies. And he needed a favor. He had a friend who wanted to do a music tour of China. And I said – he reached out to me because that's kind of what I do. I kind of have that reputation in Shanghai. And I said, yeah, I'll help. I'll do it. And so I did. And I, you know, I helped him set up. I gave him connections. I did the work, and he wanted to, you know, compensate me. And I said, I don't want any compensation. I don't want anything. I want to DJ North Korea. And he said, No. He said, That's impossible. It can't happen. And I said, Well, that's wonderful, but I really want to DJ North Korea. I'm going to stop you there. Why? Why North Korea so badly? Well, 
I knew that that was the connection that he had because Simon works for Corio Tours. He actually is someone who's been in North Korea the longest of anyone who is not actually North Korean. Um, so I knew that he would – look, if there's anyone to talk to in the world, it would be him or Kim Jong-un. But I didn't have access to him, so I talked with uh, uh, Simon. And so he's a fun guy. I mean I had known him around anyway just – as people who do entertainment and events in China because to promote his company, they do events in, in China. So I wanted to do it. I was just really persistent. You know, like I, you know, I can be really hard-headed about the things that I want to do, even if they might seem a little, mm, I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic here, a little silly on the face of them. Sure. Um, so this was just another one for me. I throw a lot of spaghetti against the wall and I hope some of it sticks and enough of it has for me to live a fun life. So he said no. Uh, but eventually he, he was like, well, I was like, well, what about like an embassy or what about like just let's just make this work. Let's finagle it a little bit. So for a while we talked about doing it like at an embassy center and then it also became, well, you know, there's a few private residences that are kind of have almost diplomatic immunity. Maybe you could do something there. But it ended up being um, – where there was a nearby hotel and they had a basement where they do karaoke, which is the official entertainment. So what, as I understand it, um, Simon talked to them and said, don't do your very PC karaoke that they do for tourists there when they visit, you know, just the standard kind of big karaoke room. Let us take it over. We'll have some admission. We'll have the bar there and we'll do a dance party and it will be cool. Simon has a lot of sway there. Because he does have a reputation with the officials there because he is there a lot. Um, so that's what happened. I mean um, he said, all right, we can do this. Let's do it. And so they put out the word to the people at the hotel. They put out the word to people interested in taking the tour and uh, the officials to, to put it together. And OK. So this is insane because North Korea, no – acts really tore through there, do they? There's been one kind of experimental group and there's been some people who have since covertly filmed like little music videos, but not really performing, no. But I mean, to me, it's just kind of my mission, what I do. Like I'm a DJ, but I'm really influenced by someone like Wolfman Jack or Murray the K or Cousin Brucey, like some of the old school DJs. I want to bring new music to people and stuff. Yeah. I want to reach out to people and not just play expected stuff. And you can't get any more unexpected than playing popular music for people in North Korea. Right. I mean, I don't go to DJs to be exposed to new music, at least here in America. I understand what you're saying, but people like, to me, like Africa Bambada, um, uh, any of the early hip hop DJs, like that to me is what I find really beautiful about right. DJing. Like I go to Thailand and I grab, grab some local music there. You know, um, I DJed in um, San Francisco at Beauty Bar a couple weeks ago and I played some Cambodian music and some Mongolian music. And I know people haven't heard it, but I hope that they do um, get interested in it and people do ask, hey, what was that? Because usually it's spoken in a different language, right. which is the first 
uh, sign, but I hope to expose some interesting music. You know, no, I'm all for that. I wish, yeah. I wish it was more like that around here. I wish that you know people could have as good of a time going to you know a bar or a club or somewhere and and just being exposed and coming out of there learning something. Well, like I come very much from the DIY punk scene. I used to be a singer in a punk band in college and stuff. And, you know, as you, I know you sing and stuff. You can't expect everyone who goes to see you to know all your songs or yeah. anything like that. I mean, to me, um, I want to expose people to new things and you just kind of have to be crafty about it and you have to, um, you know, try to sneak things in. So... That's what I'm about doing. All right, now I'm gonna I'm gonna wrangle you back to North Korea here, just sure. and then and then we'll, we will move on. I promise. We're I know. Be other things, we we can a, talk about North Korea. Fascinating. So, did you notice anything, or did any anything unexpected happen, or just? Uh... I have a bunch of different anecdotes. I ended up doing a lot of different speaking gigs about it, um, just storytelling and stuff. I mean, at the gig itself, the the biggest thing was. I think that people are interested in, and it is fascinating, is the North Koreans were really scared because they had never danced before in a sort of unchoreographed way. Oh. So they really just didn't know what to do. And if you were just to say, you know, it's like uh, – it's like uh, um, – uh, uh, what's the Kevin Bacon movie with uh, John Lithgow? Footloose. It's like Footloose. Right. You know, like how do you explain to someone how to dance or what to do? Like there's no real – answer to that it it should be sort of primordial stuff but these are very um i don't mind saying this very repressed people in a lot of different ways so you're just not going to get that so trying to explain to people that and you're also djing for people like i'll dj new music for people and they'll have little context for mongolian hip-hop music but we're talking about people who didn't know who britney spears was like didn't know what pop music almost was so those those were the biggest things, but like you know, so I basically ended up playing a survey of American popular music and stuff like the twist proved the most successful because huh. the different expats there and the people on the tours could grab a North Korean by the hands and just show them how to twist like it was nineteen sixty one all over again and they were they were comfortable with it after a while, yeah, I mean. When things are done with a positive attitude, it's hard to, to get too angry about it. You know, like if you just smile and you wave and you're laughing, it's difficult for someone to get really angry and uh, express themselves in a negative way about it. How were how were you treated? I was treated really well. Like, I mean, we had the minders around us, but because we basically broke away from the group, to set up the DJing stuff. And I was there with my buddy Abe Deo, who is a big tour manager in China. And he acted as my tour manager minder there. And he took a lot of photos and stuff. Like, so we were able to go to like to the burger joint, North Korea's one burger joint and stuff. <laughs> um, so we, we had the minders and stuff, but we also had a, a very simple policy of two things. One, smiling and waving always to everyone. Just to kind of break the tension and two, we would go on these meals to different locations. We would always eat very, very quickly and just kind of walk around a bit um, just to kind of survey the place and we wanted to try to break away as much as possible <laughs> like in, in a safe way and uh, I know Corio probably doesn't like me saying that too much but like we, we really weren't there to proselytize or cause mischief. We really just wanted to see right. stuff. Yeah. 
Was there were there any points where you um, were afraid, or no? And maybe it's my naivete. Like I just don't get scared about that stuff. Like I've been beat up. I've had weapons pulled on me. Maybe in the moment it gets tense, but I find that getting worked up about it beforehand can be so damaging that it's almost easier just to get punched in the face and get it over with than spend your days being scared. I, I agree. I mean, just, just hyping it enough in your head, it could even change your performance. It could change everything. So you kind of... It could just change day-to-day stuff. Like, I just don't, you know... It, look, if you're listening to this and you're interested, go visit North Korea. Go fly... Like, so many people are afraid of, you know, taking airplanes or going on road trips or really just so many different things. Just do it. It's not worth the energy to get scared about. And why... Why is Asia? Why do you choose Asia? I mean, you're American. Why are you going to Asia so much? Like, it it wasn't something that I set out to do. Like, you know, some people who end up in Asia, they grew up big cinephiles and they were always interested in ancient Chinese arts and stuff. For me, it was purely coincidence twice. The first time I went to Asia to, yeah, to travel at all, I, I went sight unseen the first time was. Sure. I went to the University of Florida. For my undergraduate, and I was, I had about a year left, and I saw a lot of my friends kind of dicking around, doing a whole lot of nothing, and I didn't want that for me. I mean, I was really active in the community. I was volunteering a lot. I was working as a journalist for the New York Times affiliate down there, but I just didn't want to be dicking around. So I looked at my opportunities and options, and I love to travel, and I told you about volunteering and helping people. So I signed up for the Peace Corps, or I applied. It's a long, long process, especially at the time. I think they they quickened it up a bit. And um, I put in my application. It took months, but I did get accepted. And I got accepted for the program that I wanted, which, of course, was business in South America because I love Latin girls. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, well, yeah, that's what I had signed up for. And that was basically my logic. Like I, I had done some entrepreneurial things. I had a clothing line that I sold at boutiques around and and I was from South Florida so I had at least some working knowledge of Spanish and that was great I was excited I was ready to go and get my chiquita banana on and eat bananas and stuff and they said your program has been delayed uh, you can wait for it or we'll just sign you up for something different and I said again I just didn't want to be hanging around working a job I didn't want to do, just kind of dicking around Gainesville, Florida, which is a city I love, but I didn't need to be just hanging out. So I said, okay, what is my other option? And they said, teaching English in Central Asia. I had some teaching experiences, but not really. Right. And I had never expressed any sort of interest in Asia, especially Central Asia necessarily. But I said, all right, fuck it. Do it. So what happens in Peace Corps, and I believe it's still like this at the time, uh, at the recording of this, is that they say, okay, that's your program, but for your official assignment, they send you a letter, Mission Impossible style, with the specific country and what you would be doing there. So I did get a letter in the mail that said Mongolia and teaching English and you had like 48 hours or some amount of time to reply and confirm yes or no. If I would have said no, then I would have been put to potentially get signed up again, but they may never pick you again. But I said, you know, screw it. Let's do it. I had no 
previous knowledge of Mongolia. I really didn't know anything, but it just seemed cool. And I was able – the timing of the program was perfect. Less than a week after I walked at my graduation, I was sent out to Mongolia. And then you just you just loved it out there. It just clicked once you got there. As far as because uh, you, you weren't DJing there, you were you were in the uh, Peace Corps, right? Well, okay. So I was I started DJing in college, and then when I went to the Peace Corps, initially, like I would DJ like at Peace Corps um, gatherings oh, sure. and stuff. And near the very very near, I, I ended up DJing some of my part time in during my Peace Corps time. But I would never receive payment for it. Sometimes food, sometimes transportation there. Because as a Peace Corps volunteer, yeah. you're not allowed to get paid. So yeah, volunteer. <laughs> I would, I, yeah, I would, you know, like in my spare time, if they had a big party in Ulaanbaatar, the capital, and I was living in Darkhan, which is in the countryside, they would drive me out there on a weekend, you know, when I went off and I would do that. And that was good and I enjoyed that and it ended up transitioning to me after I finished the Peace Corps. Peace Corps is two years, three months. About half the people in Mongolia didn't complete it because it's a very it's a very tough country in some ways. But I did, and I ended up staying and moving to the capital Ulaanbaatar, where one of my main projects was co-managing a nightclub that we ended up branding the Cross-eyed Gypsy after my an old girlfriend of mine. Oh, that's the. Okay, you called her the cross-eyed gypsy. <laughs> well, yeah, and I said it's with love, and so uh-huh. she's a gypsy. Yeah, okay. she's a she's a, a, a open soul. Let's just <laughs> say it like that. Okay, that yeah, that's a cool name. She's a little cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> she's very beautiful. I'm very sure beautiful. She's married now. What what yeah. kind of uh, things do you do when you're in the Peace Corps? Sure. Well, um, if you're not familiar, the Peace Corps was started in 1961 by John F. Kennedy. Uh, there's been about 200,000 Americans who have done the Peace Corps since the beginning. Um, in Mongolia, when I did it, there was about 120 people there at the time, less than 200 for sure. 20 hours a week of your Peace Corps time are with a host either school or business or association. So mine was a uh, school – in Darkhan, Mongolia, and they supplied my food, my my uh, my food allowance and uh, housing accommodations, and I was assigned to work for them for uh, twenty hours a week, and then twenty hours a week were for me to do whatever I can, whatever I see fit or to help the local community. So like 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 uh in specifically what, what sure. were some of the things you So I was doing 20 hours a week teaching classes and working with teachers the other 20 hours a week I I'm I'm a workaholic so I ended up doing a lot more Yeah but I, so, I could tell that already Yeah <laughs> uh so I ended up doing like um seminars with teachers on a regular basis because I mean at the time and still now to a large degree the English teachers at the schools didn't speak English which kind of made it a little difficult for them to do it. So we would work with them. Yeah, it's a, it's a really popular thing for Americans to go over to Asian countries and teach them English. I know a few people myself who've done it. Sure, especially like in Korea, maybe some in Japan, a little right. China. But in Mongolia, not really. The negative 40-degree weather <laughs> can do that, especially in the countryside. Um, oh but God. yeah, so I did stuff like that. But I also organized events like here's an American Christmas thing so people would learn cultural stuff or – 
um, yeah, different cultural events that I would put on because that's kind of what I do and I wanted – you know, I'm all about kind of bringing people together from culture and spreading things and you know, kind of mashing stuff up together. Yeah, and um, so you go – you're in Mongolia uh, from the, for, for the Peace Corps. Do you – like why, why do you stay there afterwards? Um, Did you stay there? Yeah. Well, so I, I finished two years, three months in the countryside of Mongolia, right. Darkhan, Mongolia. After that, I immediately – I didn't leave country. I stayed in the country and I moved to the capital, the only kind of real city in the country, Ulaanbaatar. And I was doing – uh, the English news for BTV, a TV station. I was managing this nightclub. I was also um, editing a magazine, like uh, work, teaching some English, talk, talk English. Like, so I had interesting stuff and I felt like I still had stuff to contribute. And it was kind of just exciting and interesting. Like I, it was, you know, the countryside is very different than Ulaanbaatar. So I had connections there. I wanted to continue some projects and so I figured, why not? And uh, so you're you're a DJ now. You're on tour. Uh, who who funds these tours that they, where you can go around the world? Like, how do you how do you pay for that? Well, um, we have some you know some sponsorship. Like I I worked on this tour a little bit with um, Fireball and also some beer companies. But for the most part, it's very DIY. It's it's you know we have to fundraise yeah. and the bands like for the first part of this tour the China Mongolia part primarily was done with a Spanish reggae band called Planeta Lem from Barcelona and the Noise Revival Orchestra a orchestral indie rock band from Austin Texas and yeah like the finances of it don't really add up there's money lost on a lot of this stuff like we sure. I have to work corporate events to pay for it like it's really a going out and doing your thing and exposing yourself like you know I was just just uh, last night talking to a band Conquest for Death which is another band I work with hardcore band that does specializes in doing shows in like Africa and I brought them to Mongolia Crazy. like it's one of those things where they can play for a lot of people, but a lot of times their best shows, their favorite shows are in front of 20, 25 people, which does not make financial sense. <laughs> but it is let's, – let's, let's call it a very warm, spiritual type thing when you're really able to talk to someone after an event and they say, thank you. Yeah, there's an intimacy there is an intimacy there and really when it gets down to it, that's really the most important thing. When people can – are thankful, that's more important than any of the technical awards or other achievements. Like to me, that's kind of what it's about. So the, the financial stuff like um, we did get sponsorship from the uh, Mongolian State um, Orchestra, Symphony Orchestra. A big part of this tour. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. 
LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Was, you know, every tour that I do kind of Victor, I want to have, there's like a purpose or a modus operandi to it. And for this one, it was the first time we were able to do an orchestral show. So there's a, a class, neoclassical composer named Nathan Felix, who's also in the Noise Revival Orchestra. And we were able to do the Asia premiere of his symphony. And it was working together with the Mongolian State Symphony Orchestra. They usually do Wagner for the thousandth time, like very standard stuff. His stuff is a little bit more experimental. They hadn't done anything like this before. We were able to do his symphony and do a combined rock and classical concert in this very cool theater. Something like I had never done, they had never done uh, in Mongolia. So it was really special. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a lot of the things you do um, are very experimental as well when, when you want to expose things and – in a bit, like, you know, I'll do DJ nights at clubs and I don't mind playing some CeeLo a bit. Like, I, I really, I I don't, I, I'm not, there are artists who use things like outrage and ideas like disgust as primary parts of their acts and ideas. To me, that's just one note. I really want people to have a nice time and stuff. So. Right. I mean, that that is the ultimate goal is to uh, entertain Entertain and enlighten, you know, like I, you know, the Spanish reggae band had a a bassoon player named Alfonso. So it was a reggae band with a bassoon. Like I want to kind of open people's eyes and kind of see things in new ways. Well, it's good you're bringing this up because I do, um, I've said it on this show and the the water cooler many times about my beef with DJing and and the popularity of it. So we're going to get into that right Mm -hmm. after, we're going to take a break and we are going to talk about this. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm curious. So uh, yeah, once again, Brian Offenther, DJ B.O. is here with us on Resume. We'll be back right after this. Hey guys, Chris here. And before we get back to the interview, uh, just a couple of announcements to make. First off, I just want to apologize for not releasing a water cooler this week. Uh, Thanksgiving week turned out to be a lot more hectic than planned. But we do have one coming early next week. It will be a doozy. Also, if uh, you are in Texas, Phoenix, Vegas, San Diego, I will be on tour. My band's going to be playing with the Vagabonds. So I'll just uh, announce the dates right here. November 30th, we'll be at Jack's Bar in San Antonio. December 1st, Houston, we'll be at Secret Group. December 2nd, we'll be in Dallas at Curtain Club. December 3rd, we'll be at Austin at Lucky Lounge. And then uh, December 6th, we're going to be in Phoenix at Last Exit Live. December 7th, we'll be in Vegas at Beauty Bar. And December 8th, we'll be at Winston's in San Diego. So if you're around it, uh, any of those cities on any of those dates, I think you should come and uh, check out the band, check out the comedy. It's going to be a really fun night. Also, uh, this show is brought to you by Bowl and Branch. Ah, uh, yes, Bowl and Branch. Getting great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. And you know what? You don't need an expensive mattress or sleeping pills. No. All you need to do, just change your sheets. That's right. Check out bowlandbranch.com and get a good night's sleep. And also, these make great gifts for the holiday season. So if you're looking to get somebody something nice, get them a good night's sleep. Bowl and Branch is the way to do it. Everything Bowl and Branch makes, from bedding to blankets, is made from pure 100% organic cotton, which means they are super soft. Luxury sheets can cost up to $1,000 in the store, but Bowling Branch sheets, only a couple hundred bucks. That's pretty nice. And free shipping. 
That's right. Try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, you can send them back for a refund. No questions asked. Just go to bowlandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Use the promo code podcast one. Once again, that's bowlandbranch.com. Promo code podcast one for the best night of sleep you will ever get. Also, it's Thanksgiving week. We got, we got the leftovers. I'm a little burnt down on those. So if you're looking for something to snack on, I suggest trying Nature Box. Because Nature Box makes really high quality snacks, actually taste great, and they're better for you than most of the other junk food that you're, you're finding in the pantry these days. They're created with high quality ingredients that are free from artificial colors, flavors, sweeteners. So you can feel great about what you're putting in your body. And these snacks are fantastic. I really love the, uh, I just love the, the blueberry almonds are great. And uh, the pistachio power clusters because everyone knows pistachios are the best nut. Don't even try and argue that. I know I'm right. And also, uh, NatureBox recently made their service even better. Now you can order as much as you want, as often as you want, with no minimum purchase required. And you can cancel anytime. It's simple. Just go to NatureBox.com and check out their snack catalog. There are over 100 snacks to choose from, and they're constantly adding delicious new snacks. So choose the snacks you want. They'll deliver them right to your door. With NatureBox, you'll never get bored. There are new snacks each month inspired by real customer feedback. And if you ever try a snack you don't like, NatureBox will replace it for free. And right now, you'll save even more. NatureBox is offering resume listeners 50% off your first order when you go to naturebox.com slash podcast. That's naturebox.com slash podcast for 50% off your first order. Once again, that's naturebox.com slash podcast. Oh, and of course, you guys like laughing, right? Check out CISO, the first streaming service that's for comedy nerds by comedy nerds. On-demand streaming, bingeable, ad-free comedy. You can get it anytime, anywhere. You can stream it on your desktop or your laptop or mobile devices like iOS, Android, Amazon Fire. You can watch in your living room on Roku, Amazon, Xbox One, Windows 10, Apple TV. They got you covered. I'm going to be checking this out while I'm on the road because I'm going to be in the van for a long time and... uh, they think this is going to be a really great way to pass the time and laugh and absorb just the best comedy out there. Originals and a library of classics, including the entire 40-plus years of SNL. Animated shows, British comedies, and stand-up specials. You'll always have something to watch. Try CISO free for two months with the promo code PODCAST1. No obligation or risk. You can cancel any time. It's that good, and they're that confident. And, I, and trust me, you are going to love CISO. And it's only $3.99 per month after that. So just sign up at SEESO.com, promo code PODCAST1. And lastly, but of course not leastly, have to remind you guys about checking out Me Undies. Because putting on a new pair of underwear isn't just fresh, you're stepping into a better day. I mean, think about it. Underwear is the first thing you put on and the last thing you take off. But if it's not, that's fine too. I have a few questions for you, but you should still be wearing MeUndies because MeUndies focuses solely on producing the most comfortable underwear you've ever experienced. And for the price of just two cocktails, MeUndies will deliver your new favorite pair of underwear right to your doorstep. Better day guaranteed. So try them on. And if they aren't the most comfortable, best feeling undies you've ever had, they'll refund you and let you keep your first pair for free. 
So included in the price is the sweet touch of modal, or modal, a special fabric made with best-in-class raw materials that are scientifically proven to be three times softer than cotton. These uber-cozy undies are sold exclusively on the MeUndies website, where you'll enjoy free shipping in the U.S. and Canada. And for a limited time, everybody who's hearing my voice right now gets 20% off their first order. But you have to go to the special URL, MeUndies.com slash comfort. With MeUndies Better Day Guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Don't wait any longer. Go to MeUndies.com slash comfort right now for 20% off your first order. That's MeUndies.com slash comfort. Ah, didn't that feel good? A few things for you to check out. And now we'll get back to the interview. And don't forget, Water Cooler coming up real soon, too. Love you guys. And we're back. Brian off there. DJ B.O. Chris Here. Luxamana. Yeah, hello. Uh, yeah, we're just, let's just say each other's names for a while. All right. You know? um, so being a DJ, now, my beef with DJs, I've seen... Uh-huh. The uh, American and European DJs that come through here, that play the big clubs, that play Vegas. Now they're playing the hits. They're mm-hmm. playing um, their own their own songs that they make. I'm talking about people like like a VG. I've been on a VG David show. Guetta, stuff David like Guetta, that. Calvin Harris, all those guys. Like the big, po- which are now the biggest pop artists. Weirdly enough, when mm-hmm. I, when I turn on the radio, I see there I see more DJ names than I, than I see bands or acts or artists, things like that. Yeah, and and producers. Um, so. My my thing is now now being a DJ how, how what makes you different than than those guys if if at all <laughs> there the the ways I am different from David Guetta let me count the ways I mean a lot of it's money but no like look I will say you know I don't really like many of the people's names you said their music but they're they're basically acting as producers and they're going out and they're displaying their music. I really take more inspiration from the curators, people who want to expose people to new music and kind of mix it up. And there should be ideas to it, right. you know. Like, like I, I mean, I'll, there are countless times when I've I've seen DJs play and they'll 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 go from track to track and it won't even be the same key. It won't even be the same. T- like they don't mix it. They don't mix it in a way that is seamless. They kind of just go. It looks like they just have. That, their- but that to me, that's only kind of one part. To me, like, look. You don't need another DJ. I don't need to be playing pitbull. There doesn't need to be another DJ to play pitbull. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, like. So to me, like you said, you know, I understand completely what you said when you said you don't go to DJs to hear new music. But to me, that should be the purpose of the DJ to have a sort of, for the lack of a better term, brand to really expose people to new music. Like, if you look at the history of early hip hop, I'm a big pop music geek and stuff you know you had songs um curated by people like um cool dj herc and africa bambada who had a very great privilege of meeting and grandmaster flesh and they took songs that were not popular hits and they basically they're basically called break beats um and they turned them into hits in their own context. And to me, that's a really beautiful thing. Like, you can read Wolfman Jack's autobiography. You know, he was taking old blue songs that were not necessarily popular and turning them into things that were hits or part of his style or whatever. And to me, that's really important. Radio right now, as your boss would know, is a very difficult landscape. And I don't have that and it's hard for me to find a context. I have done radio before. I had a radio show in Mongolia that was also broadcast in the US in Gainesville. But I, as someone who also likes to live on the road, I don't really do that. So I basically do that in a live context. So, I mean, 
um, and this is just me being a total cynic, but Be, like yeah. the uh, the things like like the artists and the, and the acts you're, you're you're mentioning earlier, and the break beats and just introducing new music. It seemed like back in the day when that was going on, it was okay because um, it was new people. But now uh, with with that you know with with YouTube and the the six second Vine attention span and and I and I, I hate to say it, but just the dumbing down of of uh, I, I feel like society right now is just it's hard for people to not want anything that isn't familiar. Well, I am an asshole, Chris, and I could give a fuck about what they're doing. Excuse my language. Like I I I will try to be open with people if people have requests, we can work. Like I will finagle and stuff, but you know, um I'm going to try to bring new things. And there are some DJs like that. There's DJs like Scratchy Sounds, there's Andy Smith in England. Who really do still have that attitude? It's just not as popular. Like I said, you just – if you have a club and you hear this, you don't need me to play Pitbull. You don't you, – there's just no purpose Nobody for really doing that. Nobody really needs anybody to play Pitbull. That's true. That's true, <laughs> but it's besides the point. Like like what – like any performer and I – I DJing an artist that's – most DJs and – I wouldn't say it's an artist. But like what is – what are you presenting to the world? And that's kind of what I want to ask myself and I want it to be different and unique. And so what do I have? Well, I have the opportunity to go to Thailand and go to Mongolia and get music from Mohanic and the Lemons and A-Sound. And in Shanghai, get Round Eyes music and Planeta Lem from Barcelona. And that's my experience. So that becomes who I am and hopefully people – some – hopefully people are interested in and some people are. Now, I'm not the most popular DJ, I'd love to be more popular, but I'm going to work at it, and I'm going to hustle, and I'm going to grind, and I'm going to do my darndest not to work a nine to five job. I, I, I mean, I 100% back that. Um, oh, look at that! Yeah. Well, yeah. I, as, I, I, I don't, I don't mean to diminish what you do. Sure. Uh, by any means, no. It's just, I, I think you're, you're, you're really raising important points. Yeah. It's just, yeah, just from my, my personal experience, it looks like you know the DJ has a laptop out and just pressing spacebar on a playlist and it's just it's just going and they're kind of just dancing behind it I mean like there you know I'm not I have composed music before but that's not really what I'm doing with DJ in a sense in a sense it is pressing buttons but what's the idea what are they trying to present to it well I mean yeah. if, if you want to take it to any scale playing the piano is pressing buttons like it's just exactly and that's exactly my point yeah yeah it's just it's just um, it doesn't look like from what I've seen, it just didn't look like as much skill. But I mean, uh, this is just coming from a bitter musician who's been in a band who's played a party, and they said, "Do you know Rihanna?" And I said, "No," and they walked out. Like, it's, it's well, sure, but I mean, but you can look at the sort of aesthetic of rock and roll, but even more specifically, punk rock. There are singers with wonderful ranges, and they've trained their voices and stuff. But also, you have Joy Ramone, who doesn't have that, but he's able to present a very specific image and idea in his music. Well, feel Ramone, yeah. So yeah, yeah so. In a sense, a DJ can be like a punk rocker in the sense that maybe they're not doing the most technical thing in the world. There is, and there is some technique involved. I want to be right. really clear about that. There is mixing, there's scratching, right. cutting, there's stuff. But Which I love. I love to see. Yeah, yeah. So but, – but even more important than that. Like any, look, if you're a painter or if you are a musician or if you're a playwright, what you are doing, the what of it is only a means to – the how and the why and what you're presenting. The form of it is not really important. I mean, I've I've said this a bunch, but it's this just goes with any any form of art, any form of uh, literature, any form of creativity. Is all I ask for is honesty. That, mm-hmm. That's all. That's all I want. 
in anything. It's just uh, you want you want it to be sincere. So even yeah. if it's pop music, it's got to be sincere, and people can recognize that yeah. over time. Sometimes in the moment, it can be tough, but let a couple of years pass, and people can generally figure it out. Right. Um, all right. So let, let's just take it back now to uh, to the beginning. I mean, Coral Springs, <laughs> Florida. Sure. Yeah, that's where you're from. Um, like, how, how did uh, you get from there? I, I know you did the Peace Corps, but what about before that? What, what have you been doing? Sure. Well, this, since this is resume, I'll yeah. mention that my very first job ever was when I was oh, – even before a teenager, I was Zippy the Mailbox for our mailboxes, et cetera. I wore a, a mailbox costume and handed out flyers and waved and stuff. Oh, in the Florida heat. Yes, in the Florida heat. And then I would get paid like 2 $3 and then I'd immediately go – be starving and and thirsty, and I'd go spend it on pizza, and I'd be down to nothing again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just a means to get pizza. Yeah. Um. How old were you? Uh, I mean, I had to be like eleven, twelve when doing oh, that. Geez. Like, we're just really so young. young. It was like summertime and stuff. It? it was even hotter. So, but my first like real, real job. I, you know, I was in high school. I wanted to get some money and stuff. I really, really wanted to work in a music store. I, and I applied to all of them and I was relentless. I'm like, I'm reading about music. I'm listening to music. Please, please hire me. By music store, do you mean like a record store or a, a oh, guitar like, center? Like a CD stores, you okay. know, like, you know, specs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. R.I.P. F.Y.E. Yeah. All, all of them. They're like, so I applied and I just really became like, I love music. I'll work so hard. Please let me do it. And they would just say, no, no. They, they were basically disinterested. They're probably hiring their friends. So I was at the yeah. Coral Square Mall. In uh, Coral Springs and I just went to a music store and I was just dejected and I walked out and I walked right across the hallway and they had just a buck, the dollar store. And I walked in and I was like, can I get a job? And she said, you're hired. (laughs) So I got a job in the dollar store, which – I do love dollar stores. In fact, Chris, Chris Laxamana, I am a connoisseur of the dollar store. I'm a big fan of the dollar store. I mean, Absolutely. Especially now. It feels like uh, I've walked into one this year. Um, I don't go too often, but when when I do go, it's just uh, – they actually have good stuff. Like it's not as terrible quality as, as – as when I was younger, it was awful. Like there were there were some awful stuff at the dollar store. I used to go all the time. I just love the randomness of it. it really I like is you random. have to go in there with an open mind. It's almost a spiritual thing. Like what can you find and what can you make of it? It's very DIY. That's kind of the sensibility I go into. So I got a job with just a buck, and I worked throughout high school at the dollar store, right across from the music store. And I'd go and terrorize them and ask them music trivia questions and kind of just scoff when they didn't get them and stuff. So I had You're a lot of fun You're the weird guy at the dollar store coming coming like, oh, yes. Like it was coming. fun stuff because like – and I would just – I would just – like we would sell CDs there. And at the time, I think it was FYE. I think that's what it was at the time. They would have a buyback policy. But it was always done um, – by the code, like they would just zip it they in. They wouldn't check receipt. They, they wouldn't. wouldn't check receipt, so they would just do it. So sometimes the dollar store would sell CDs that could get two or three dollars. Oh, look at that! At the music store, so I would go and bring them over, and they'd catch me in scheming. So, but I worked at the dollar store. We'd have lots of fun. And oh, you actually got caught <laughs> eventually. Yeah, but it's no big deal. I think Target does that. I know people who do it to Target. They'll just bring in stuff. Target doesn't check receipts. So it, like, it was oh, very yeah, blatant sure. because we were just street, just across the hallway. But it's funny. <laughs> I, I recently went back to the Coral Square Mall, and I'm almost an evangelist, and it might drive some of my friends crazy. I go into Coral Springs, and I go to the Coral Square Mall, and I'll walk. I'll, I'll go into like a a Spencer's or a Hot Topic and I'll see someone with a, just a little flash of life in them. Just some, 
you know, 19-year-old girl or something with a little pink in her hair and just like a kind of smile surrounded by the sort of corporate nonsense <laughs> around her. And I would go up to her and I'll say, what are you doing in Coral Springs? Get out of here now. And they'll be like – they could say, wait, I love Coral Springs. I'm comfortable here, all those things. But they always say the exact same thing. They say, you're right. I shouldn't be here. I should be out going to do things. And I really just encourage people to go out and travel and see new things. It doesn't have to be my route in Shanghai or whatever. Is that is that just uh, Coral Springs because you thought you didn't want people – you didn't like that town? Like it was just a small town or what would you tell somebody in – uh, like paradise to hey you need to get out of here. You if you're in okay, if you are in paradise, if you are in, in fact Los Angeles, you have a much stronger argument to stay somewhere. But you know I used to do these things called Saturday adventures in college where we would take road trips into the deep south in Georgia and we'd go to the Plant City Strawberry Festival and the Catfish Festivals in Southern Georgia. We yeah you know we'd go to see the Country Corner Cafe with. K's and like there'd be the cafes up top and they would have the Ten Commandments on the billboards and we'd go in there, we'd see a waitress and you know, there'd be the two old smoking waitresses and one kind of one who still had some life in them and I'd be like, get out, go see the world because going out and seeing the world can just open people up in ways more than just a photograph or a cool Instagram photo at a tourist spot. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. I I agree. Once again, I mean, um, you lived in a camper for a long time. Oh yeah, I've I've toured I've toured this uh, this nation a few times mm-hmm. um, with my friends and really just got to see it uh, in really amazing ways. It's I think the the look. I like living in Shanghai because I do get exposed to Chinese people. It's cool. They're very different in a lot of ways, same as others. But also something that people don't understand, I think Americans kind of can naturally say, well, I'm sure there's Chinese people in China, obviously, and maybe there's expat Americans. But there's also expats from Africa and Paris and Russia and everywhere. So I'll be sitting at a table for brunch or lunch or whatever and there will be a Parisian and someone from Buenos Aires and stuff. And these are people who – at least have their shit together enough to get out of what their past situation was, mm-hmm. which just generally raises the level of quality of person in a way. When uh, when you see like another uh, white guy in, in Mongolia or something, do you always do you just look at each other and be like, hey, what's up, man? Like you guys – do you feel a connection um, or is it just in- – In Shanghai, less so because it is more accessible. In Mongolia, there's a little bit more of that just because it – can be a difficult country, and I say that with lots of love. Um, uh-huh. So you, you, there is a bit of an understanding and stuff. But you know, I I live one thing in Ulaanbaatar in Shanghai is I live on the opposite side of the planet from the EST Eastern Standard Time. I cannot get any farther away from Coral Springs. If I kept going, I would be heading back. So I'm on the opposite side. You are almost a symbolic thing. What's that? If they dug a hole, you'd you'd, you'd pop up in Coral Springs. That's it. And even if people don't have that same sort of attitude, because I was was just a really depressed kid and I I had other issues as well. But even if you're not as gung-ho about doing it, like go out and be exposed to different things like – I know the show is called Resume, but I'm just so fascinated about you living in Asia. Um, what are what are some of like the the biggest uh, differences and like most shocking things that you just took you a little bit more time to get used to? Hmm. In like in 
Well, just just to give you some context, Please. I've lived in uh, the countryside of Mongolia and Ulaanbaatar, which is the, the capital city, which is very different. And I also live in – currently live in Shanghai and concurrently to living in Shanghai for different work projects. I've had apartments in um, Nanjing and Ningbo. So you know, I have an apartment in Shanghai and an apartment in Ningbo at the same time. So uh, any any specific place like that or just overall in Asia? Uh, just yeah, whatever you could think of that, that you just think would be interesting for the listeners to to hear just how different of a life you've led. Uh, sure. Like well, I was just talking to Gina um, before we recorded this and I think something that can be really, really revealing about the Chinese perspective and ideas because Americans are really interested in China because it's a growing economy and they're right. scared of it in a lot of ways and I understand that. Adam Carolla in the studio where I'm sitting right now will go on and on about the LAPD and I've heard him I've heard I, him talk about it. Have once you heard it? If, yeah. If, if yeah, you should uh maybe <laughs> reference which episodes, which are just about all of them about it. So he'll go on and on about it. But I am fairly certain if a police officer approached him on the street and said, Hey, I need your help, or here's a question. He's even in fact said he would respect them and he would listen to him and he would answer them. So even though he's ranting, very practically he would help them. In China it is the utter, complete, 180 degrees opposite. You don't say negative things about the authority, whether it's the government or the police or anything. It's not in the character. You avoid that conversation. That's it. However, in the Shanghai subways, they have metal detectors. And you're supposed to put your bags or purses or suitcases into the x-ray machines. Nobody does it. Everyone walks right past it, even though there's the people there saying, hey, put it in there. Or if a police officer walks up to you or if you see any sort of authority person, you just walk away. You just keep going. You do not want to be tied up in official business. So you have to you have to uh, give them the utmost respect, but the best way to handle it that most people are handling it is just trying to stay under the radar and avoiding. Yes. There's a sense of needing to – you know, kowtow, as they would say. You need to kowtow, but you also don't want to be in the attention. You want to avoid issues as much as possible. I think that's just Asian culture, period. I mean, I, I most of the Asians I, I know growing up, um, yeah, including me, just put your head down, work, and just kind of just not really put try to put yourself in any sort of spotlight. Uh, I, it could be in a general sense, and it could just. But even in these specific ways, I think that you know, there's a bit of a sense of community that could be lost in some ways in China. But like you know, and I respect you saying this. Like, uh, I mean, for instance, like you go to a, a, any a, any Chinese restaurant that uh, you have like ten waiters because everybody's just a community helping each other. Like you don't. You you don't have one person like coming back to your table. It's like you like there are like thirteen people coming around and like it's like in dim sum they're just pushing their carts around and things. It's just all one. They they work as a unit rather as individuals. Uh, it's, there's certainly an aspect to that. Although like and I respect you saying this. Saying the term Asian culture to me can be useful in some ways, but especially when you're there, you have an experience with Korean people and Japanese people and Mongolian people who are Asian, but Almost utterly different than people in Japan, right? So, uh, so just I'll say just specifically with China, it could right. be like that. Yeah, uh, Ch- Chinese influenced cultures, we could even say. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, me saying Asian culture was was very broad, especially for you. I mean, it, uh, 
actually, I would consider you way more Asian than me, <laughs> even though I, I'm Filipino. It's just because I, yeah, I've never. Well, I've never it's, it's even like people who have been to Europe. You know, like you know, you could say Europeans and all those things, but if you've been to Spain and you have been to Germany, you can't get too much. You can't find a bigger difference than just about anywhere. So oh. I just I just wanted to point that part out. Do you have any plans of of leaving uh, Shanghai anytime soon, or you you plan on just sticking around there and working on your projects? Well, I have some projects that I'm working on, some kind of things I got together, and my whole thing is like as long as I have interesting and exciting things, I'll keep doing it. And when I'm done, when I don't have interesting, cool things on the horizon, I'll go someplace else. That's what I tell myself and that's what I'm sticking with even though I'm kind of getting in a lot of ways entrenched in Shanghai. So in a way, it's becoming harder because I have opportunities because I have a reputation. So if I have to move a place like, I don't know, Rio de Janeiro or Los Angeles even, like I would have to reestablish myself which is kind of annoying but I probably (laughs) would be willing to do that. Well, I mean, bravo, man. Uh, I know you said you played in a punk rock band and uh, you're a DJ now but I, I look at you and I still see you as like your punk rock it just just as, as in your lifestyle and, and the way uh, you present yourself and the way you you handle yourself around uh, like all of your endeavors, um, you like to you know you 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 tread a different path but a good one as far as you trying you're just trying to expose people and um, and do all this. So uh, yeah, I, I totally respect that and uh, wish you the best of luck in, in all of your projects uh, that you do. Um, and for all for all the listeners, I mean, like there you go. It's just like a guy who just. Uh, you're a hustler, like you just like that, like straight up. I'm a hustler, baby. Yep, and uh, and I and I always respect that. Just anybody who just I appreciate who's, you saying who's willing to make moves. Um, so, uh, do you have any advice for the listeners at all? Like, yeah, I, I always ask this just because I. Um, yeah, I have a question I, for you. Oh, of course. When are we doing the Chris Lasamana takes over Asia acoustic tour? When, oh. What are we scheduling that for? Uh, current, current, re- really soon. Yeah, like I. Uh, you can you can laugh about it, but why not? I you know what exactly why not and that 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 seems to be the theme of of everything so far as just and I I agree I mean why not exactly I'd love to do that so I I will point that comment to you and ask the listeners why not go do it listen look find me on fa- look anyone who's listening to this you can find my real name on Facebook it's Brian Offenther B R I A N space Offenther you could probably see it on your podcatcher right now. Message me directly. Some people in Shanghai right now while I'm on tour are kind of annoyed with me because I'm slow getting back to them. My partner and my company, ToeJam, Stella, she's going, wah, 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 because I have to get back to people. I'm sorry. But resume listeners, message me on Facebook and do that. Like uh, my Mongolia project is called Rock Nadam. Rock space Nadam, N-A-A-D-A-M. I do ToeJam in China, a whole bunch of stuff. But anyway, message me directly, Brian Offen there, and come visit me. Come say hi. Right. And and as I said, any any advice that you want to give to people who are just looking to move out of Coral Springs? Just just do it. Like that's that's my advice. Why not? That there's really nothing else to it. I could say practical things like, look, if you are an American, you have your passport is very very valuable. In some ways it's more valuable than things that other people would work really really hard for. <laughs> It is a privilege, and that's okay. Everyone has their advantages and disadvantages. Use it. You know, at a very practical level, if you are an American, you're a native English speaker, you can teach English somewhere. It's not that difficult. Um, You really, really can. Um, You can take a couple online courses that, but really, uh, I'm not really 
into getting into the specifics. I really just want to say, just go out and do it. Don't be scared. Go out, have a good time. All right, there you have it. Brian off with our DJ BO. Message him on Facebook. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, this has been Resume. I'm your host, Chris Loxamana. We'll let you know. Digital.